American Giant makes great clothing, sweatshirts, jeans, and more right here in the U.S. Visit American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order with code STAPLE20. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com, code STAPLE20. This episode may contain content of a graphic nature. Listener discretion is advised. Hi, everybody, and welcome back. I'm Nikki. And I'm Mariah. Thanks for joining us on another episode of Body to Burial. Well, hello. I'm excited. I mean, I'm always excited. I feel like I need to come up with a new word. I must be driving our listeners crazy. But I am happy to be here with you today. And I can't wait because I know you've you've orchestrated this one. So I can't wait to uh, find out who you've got. Today we are talking to Yvette and she is a microbial forensic scientist. What is that? Um, This is what I'm thinking that it's like uh diseases people that try to kill people with like the anthrax type stuff that sort of stuff what do they call that like a biology crime a a bio crime is that right yeah something like that yeah that's what I'm thinking I'm really excited that you are the person that's speculating this week so it's it's Nikki's uh definition this week I like it kind of like outbreak the movie another movie reference outbreak maybe okay or like contagion Exactly. Great movie too, by the way, Contagion, yes. Okay, that sounds amazing, and I'm kind of intimidated. I feel like it's going to be a little complex. Yeah, yes. I feel like it's going to be very science-y, which I always like to learn about because I don't like to do science myself, but I do like to hear about it. So I feel like this one's going to be a very science-heavy one. Like, it's a different type of a crime that's really interesting. It's very... um sophisticated crime if you will I just want to know how they well also like in movies how they can trace it back to the one person you know like patient zero or like person zero or whatever it is so that'll be interesting to kind of find out if they can kind of narrow it down to one specific person or what that is yeah I'm excited about this one well awesome I'm excited let's do this um let me go grab her okay hang on perfect Hi, Yvette. This is Mariah Hamilton. How are you? I'm great. How are you doing? I'm doing okay. Thank you for this opportunity. Of course. We are so excited to chat with you. Thank you again, Yvette, for taking the time to chat with us today and walk us through. I think let's just jump right into it. Tell us who you are and what is it that you do? My name is Dr. Yvette Gannon. I am a forensic epidemiologist investigator. I also have many other roles in the scientific and academic bio-investigative community. So for this talk, I would like to focus on what is the forensic epidemiologist investigator and how we conduct microbial forensic investigations. Many people don't have a clue about this field, but I'm glad that you're doing this so other people out there maybe learn about this field like I enjoy very much your last presentation about the water search that was amazing oh oh thank you Thanks. yeah I enjoyed that one very much I didn't know anything about that so when somebody works in forensic epidemiology investigation this means I use the disciplines in microbiology molecular biology, forensics, and epidemiology to find the presence of pathogens that could be in a natural way, like an outbreak, or it could be a pandemic, or it could be that a person was a laboratory accident, or that a person intentionally used a bioagent to cause any harm or to kill somebody. So in microbial forensics and forensic epidemiology investigations, we use the presence of the pathogen DNA or RNA in viruses, and we use microbial cultures and genomic databases to identify them. Biocrimes reconstruction usually is very dynamic and fluid, and it's very difficult because when people get sick with these pathogens, there are days that go by and they don't know that they were infected with a pathogen. It takes a little bit of time, so most of the time when other kind of investigators go by, it's very hard to find a crime scene or a biocrime scene. But I want to tell you what is not a biocrime, and then we could move on to what is a biocrime. 
I want to bring you back to Dr. John Snow in England in 1854, when at that time there was a big outbreak with cholera. So Dr. Snow, he was an anesthesiologist, and he was very worried why people were dying so much. So what he did was he decided to do interview to the people of the family that were still alive, because obviously you cannot interview that people. <laughs> so he did that. <laughs> he, did, he did that. And then he find out something very in common. There was all these people that were there. They were drinking from a specific location, which is called the Broad Street Pump in England. He decided to do something very brilliant. At that time, you know, think about 1854 where people did not have the knowledge to see microorganisms. So what he did was he removed the handle of the water pump, and then immediately people stopped being sick. Uh, But this was not a crime investigation. This was just a natural outbreak. But it was very complicated. A lot of people died. And this is the origin how epidemiology has become a strong part of microbial forensic investigation. Maybe you and Nikki remember the West Nile virus. I don't know if you're too young. No, yeah, I do. (laughs) (laughs) Nikki's an old soul. (laughs) I don't know if you both experienced seeing birds coming down from the sky because the the birds were just dying. And people, this is how this investigation, which was also a natural outbreak, started. People was watching birds coming down from the sky, and they were then the next thing. But I want to bring you now to what it is, the classic biocrime investigation. And this one is called the Ameritrax, which is the anthrax investigation that happened in the United States in 2001, which was a very challenging investigation, and it was conducted by the Federal Bureau of Investigation. In this biocrime, five people died, and 17 became seriously sick, and it has been the worst biocrime so far in the history of the United States. It took for the FBI 10 years to complete this investigation. Wow. Yet nowadays, it will not take that long because we have some tools that we use now that are called PCR, polymerase chain reaction, and NGS, new generation sequence that I guess the scientific laboratories, they can uh, run this sequence uh, DNA and find out exactly what is the pathogen that is involved. And to bring this to a more currently panorama. We all know what happened with COVID-19, SARS-CoV-2. I am participating with other professionals in the academia. We are researching the origin of SARS-CoV-2. There's a lot of debate about this. Uh, Most people think this is a natural spillover outbreak. I am on the other side with other professionals. We really think this was a laboratory accident. The global community has no come forward to tell you exactly what happened. I was lucky to work uh, past, during this past year with some amazing professionals in the government, and we published three documents that if you Google my name, you find about those articles. The, how we describe what we think about this SAR investigation so far. That's really interesting. I didn't even know about this, and it's really cool. Yeah, I mean, I love, and I know history is one of Nikki's favorites, so oh, the story about it. Dr. Snow is incredible, and just that he had the forethought to remove the faucet. Obviously, that's not entirely what your job is, but that's just such an ingenious thing to think about. My brain would have never gotten there, so it's such an incredible story. Yeah, I learned from going to foreign science seminars that this is how you find the greatest investigators in crime scene. They usually find one little detail that made so much sense in the investigation. And like you say, Aniki, just going back to 1854 and to realize how this doctor conclude how to remove the handle 
of that pond so people were not drinking that water. I think it was an amazing thing because at that time there was the other theory that people were getting sick because there was something on the air. It was not something on the air. It was what they were, the water that they were drinking. So crazy. It's wild. And you describe it very easy for someone who doesn't know about science. I, I'm, I'm getting everything that <laughs> you're describing it very well. Yeah, I can keep up with you, Yvette. You're doing good. I like it. I hope I can keep up with the rest with you too. Maybe a lot of people don't know about microbial forensics, but I want to tell you a little bit the classic definition. Microbial forensics is a scientific discipline dedicated for the analysis of evidence from a bioterrorist event, a biocrime, or an international release of the microorganisms for the attribution purposes. This means there was nothing good they want to do with this pathogen. Uh, this definition comes from the number one microbial forensics investigator, which is Bruce Boodle. He was the one that led the Ameritrust Antrust investigation for the FBI. And I think I would like to be fair also to give the credit to Dr. Paul came that also he worked very hard in that investigation. The unlawful use of biological agents causes dangers to individuals, to the public, the environment, the economies of nations, and the global peace, which is increasing with emerging technology. So it is important to bring awareness and capacity to microbial forensics to understand what happened during a biological attack and how we can prevent it. So I hope this talk, maybe other people listen, because you know this happened in 2001, the FBI anthrax investigation, and people think, oh, this is not going to happen again. But it is good that people mentally prepare for this kind of stuff. Hence, microbial forensics can identify organisms, but it requires a standardization, validation, and to me, legal standard. It is not where scientists go and say, I say this or I say that. You know, it's a very rigorous process that we have to prove. We have to go through a process to make sure that we, without any doubt, we can tell other people in the government this is exactly the idea of the specimen that we found because that is important because depending on the idea of that specimen, the goal and most important thing is to save lives in any crime investigation, like any health investigation. So doctors will need the exact idea of the pathogen to be able to treat the people sick so they can survive the outbreak or the biocrime. I have a super quick question about that because it just popped into my head before I forget. Say with the anthrax, if someone opens a letter with anthrax in it and they recognize that it was anthrax, they can give you a medication that will help that, whatever is going to be happening to you once you are inhaling it? Yes. There is a vaccine, my understanding. We have in the United States a vaccine for anthrax, but of course you got to take it before you're exposed to the pathogen. But a doctor can't treat you because anthrax is a bacteria. So there is a difference between a bacteria pathogen or a virus. I think you remember maybe from your grandmother or from your mother that they say, if there is a bacteria, it has a cure. It has a cure means the physicians can treat the secondary effect of the infection. Other three kinds of anthrax, there's the one that is the cutaneous, the, it, it happens in your skin. There's the one that we digest it in our stomach, and that one is easy to eliminate it by the digestive system, most of that. However, there's the one that was the one involved in the Ameritrust investigation with this the inhalation anthrax. Uh, and there's one thing about bacteria that I want to explain. Bacteria, depending how pathogenic could be, it depends where it goes into your body. For example, if you have like E. coli, you know, we always hear about E. coli in hamburgers and sometimes of fruit that we eat. When you drink water with E. coli, if it goes through your digestive system eventually might be eliminated. Chances are with your immune system, you're gonna be okay. However, if your immune system is weak and you have other conditions and the E. coli go into your lungs or your kidneys, then it can cause a lot of damage. But anthrax is a disease. I believe the survival rate 
is better than Ebola, and Ebola is 50%, but still, when you get anthrax inhalation, it's very lethal. That's what happened with the five people that died in the investigation. It's good that you ask questions because it might be the same questions other people have, and if we made this stuff very academic, we'll be bored, but it's fun when you, when you two come out with good questions and... I will try to have the answer. <laughs> in microbial forensic investigations, we have a criteria that help public health to tell you when they're happening, you know, because you, you, you're you not going to be aware right away with this kind of crime is happening, which is different. You know, you are in the middle of an active shooting. You see a person with a gun, so you know, well, this person may going to kill me with a gun, but unfortunately, with bacteria, they're invisible. And it is very hard to follow this kind of investigations. And also death or illness in humans proceeding for accompanied by death or a disease that could be passed from animals. We call these sonority biological agents. To give you an example, a sonority biological agent is when people get Lyme disease, you know, you get the teeth by. So the tick pass to you the bacteria that cause Lyme disease. But it could be used Bad people could use this kind of technique to pass bad pathogens to a community or to a group of people. So how do they, they just know that there's an outbreak of some sort happening within a village or an area and then they try to contain it? Is Usually the best clue is in civilized societies like us, when people go to the hospital, they are in the reporting system. When we go to the hospital and the physicians uh, diagnose you with a disease, it gets reporting out. And when they have suddenly, let's say today is a Friday, um, a fire o'clock, uh, 24 show up at the hospital in your city, and they have symptoms like fever, vomitus, you know, nothing, you know, they're dead. So officials from the medical community, which are the first hands to notice, has to report that to directors of the health department. The director of the health department has to report that to the CDC. And if this is a natural outbreak, as long as the pathogen ID was found right away, that we could say, oh, this is a natural outbreak, you know, like, for example, the flu. But when they find that the ID of the pathogen could be like category A, category A is the pathogens that are being classified where other nations and and people with very bad intentions could use to kill people at a large number, and this could affect our national security. So it is a system that starts from people going to the hospital, the people from the hospital health director, the health director, the CDC, and if something becomes really abnormal, it has to be reported to the Federal Bureau on of Investigation. This kind of process involves a lot of people. You know, some evidence that we look, you know, to solve biocrimes is, for example, the daily log book of investigation where people were working in a laboratory. I think this was the most amazing thing that happened when the FBI discovered the anthrax. Uh, the, the guy that was classified as the perpetrator for the anthrax letter because they found a flash in his laboratory with the same culture of anthrax spore that was used in the anthrax letter. So they're going to be looking also for research notes. They're going to be looking for crime scenes. They're going to write around what's going on, what was in the laboratories, was having electricity, how are the laws for the outer clay. A lot of things that we do that have to be well done in laboratories, and then it will be a final report. But the goal of microbial forensics is to identify the people that get sick, identify the agent, and then we need to eliminate the exposure to other people so other people will not become sick. And when it comes to that, the FBI is the agency that will identify the perpetrator, and they also will collect evidence for prosecution. And no matter how many people you get in a biocrime investigation, 500, 1,000, the FBI is going to be the agency that is going to 
put it all together and they have the ownership of that investigation. Some other microbial roles that microbial forensics we do, we try to identify the symptoms related to a bioweapon and we try to, to identify genomic databases that maybe could relate to the pathogen that we are doing investigations. But the most important thing is to develop safety programs to ensure the validity of the outcome. If it were a crime, it will be presented with a conclusive outcome with any doubt that can stand in court in a court system, and that will be the FBI. Some facts about microbial forensic cases that I currently or recently occur, you know. Do you know that you have five pounds of bacteria in your body and mainly they are in your gut? Do you know that? I never heard that. You know, a lot of people, they try to do all, all kinds of things. I need to live in a completely sterile environment. But there is the thing. We have good bacteria and we have bad bacteria, but we, we have bacteria in our body up to five pounds. From all the bacteria that we can find in the world in dangerous laboratories, we can only culture 1%. So what I try to say is there's a lot more to do in the medicine field to find the cure of many bacteriological diseases, obviously. We also need to think about the fact that we have lots of bacteria events that are not related with biocrime, like I mentioned before, the outbreaks that we have with the West Nile virus and Zika. But still, there's people out there that will use pathogens, and they use it in the past just to kill people. Also, something that we need to be very aware of is how the media perpetrate pathogenic information. Like, for example, sometimes you plan to go to, to a swimming pool, and then they tell you, the swimming pool is closed because it has the deadly E. coli. It, it, I think in some ways, sometimes the, the information that goes to the media is exaggerating and it creates fear to people. Microbial forensics and people in the government, we have to be very careful how we communicate the message out when we find outbreaks or when we're conducting an investigation because we should not have fear to make people afraid. You know, like right now, I'm sure a lot of people in the United States became very worried with monkeypox. We still worry with the coronavirus because we think if something is going to happen again, it should be a peak during the fall. If during this fall, we don't see a peak again of the coronavirus, that will be great. We, we will be a lot over this uh, pandemic, which right now is not a pandemic anymore. And I want to remind you, this is for Nikki, that she liked history. There's some historical uh, pandemics that happened in the past. You know, I want to mention to you the HIV. You know how many people died in that one, Nikki? How many? 36 million. Whoa. Yep. In the flu pandemic, 1 million. In the Asian flu, 2 million. And the one that get me going is in the years 1346 to 1353, the Black Death, which we call it the bubonic plague, and 75 to 200 million of people die. Wow. How we have overcome all this mixed sanitation, we have improved systems. We have our drinking water and sanitation, especially in the United States. Uh, so that's a good thing. A lot of people, for example, they're not appreciating the water that they drink. And in other countries, they don't have that kind of blessing. But we do have that kind of blessing in the United States. So the field of epidemiology study the distribution and determinant of health related with states or events, including disease and the application of this study to control diseases and other health problems. So in biocrime, there are some important questions that we need to ask. What is the pathogen was, the motive for the crime, and the means? How do we find the face of the pathogen in a biocrime in an outbreak? Uh, we need to look to evidence, a direct, circumstantial and physical. The type of pathogen under the microscope, this is another way that we can identify pathogens because it could be a cocos, a bacillus, and that is important because depending on the identification of the pathogen, the doctor is going to give you an antibiotic to cure you. So it's 
we get the wrong identification, chances are the doctor is going to give you the wrong medicine and it's a big problem. People are going to be dying. Another way uh, we look under the microscope, um, most important for legal purposes in court is the DNA composition where we use PCR electrophoresis, microarrays, biological databases, and we also look into biochemical and physical properties, like for example, I mentioned before, spores present, smell, survival rate, etc. Um, we look for the gram staining. If the bacteria is gram positive, it's going to be like color violet. If the bacteria is gram negative, you will see under the microscope. And again, this is important because it's going to depend what kind of antibiotic a doctor is going to give you to cure you. But most important, when we want to follow a pathogen in a microbial forensic investigation, we look a lot for the detection of mutation. And this was something very important in the anthrax investigation that was completed by the FBI because they observed that the same mutations or contamination material that was in the flask that the individual that uh, they found in the laboratory has the same mutations as the mutations that they found when the letters of the anthrax were sent to the people and they opened, it was very similar. So we also look for antigenic properties. This means you could have a pathogen and we know the, the antigenic properties. This means uh, it could be treated with penicillin and then suddenly we observe, wait a moment, this pathogen is usually very good when it's treated with penicillin, but at this time it's not. You know, that brings us red flag for physicians and for investigators. We also have to to think about if this is logical happen in the environment that happens. A lot of people think biocrimes, there is no any other different than other crimes. People like to conduct them because they like to murder somebody or kill someone. They like to terrorize. They do extortion, disruption, anti-animal, mass murders revenge, incapacitation, or a political state a statement. That's crazy. What drew you to this career choice? I had worked uh, for a long time in laboratories, private, and right now in the government. And in 2006, I finished my master in molecular biology. So I always looking to learn more. And I decided to take a course in forensic science, which was taught by a police chief. And I remember one of the assignments that he gave, it was to identify the Ole mommy, why the Ole mommy could not lay down flat on the surface. It was having like a, uh, an end curve. And I, I wrote the essay that the, the mommy was because it was with a bacteria that we usually call Clostridium, which is the same one that most people use with bottles. And I, I guess from there, I have a passion for following up in this field, but the biggest, I, I would say, inspiration for me came thinking about 9-11. We Americans know how devastated it was that day. I remember exactly what I was doing that day at the time. Actually, I was in the, a laboratory. We heard the first time the plane hit the first tower. Everybody thought that was an accident, but then when the second one happened, then we knew things were not up. Something was going on. So for me, that's a great motivation. In 2011, I took a training with the FBI and the CDC, and it was called Joint Training for Law Enforcement and Public Health Officials in Investigative Response to Bioterrorism. At that time, it was Monday uh, that we civilians in health organizations that we had such a training. And then uh, I decided to go straight to a PhD in epidemiology. I could continue uh, in microbial forensic investigation as a microbial forensic investigator. Uh, so I finished my PhD in 2019, but the biggest influence in my life in this career came when in two, since 2011, I went almost every year to Baltimore to some conference that are called the Mid-Atlantic Inlet, where all professionals 
from Washington, D.C., from all kind of levels, local government, state, and federal, we will come together. And then they bring a lot of people very important, and they teach us about different crimes. So for me, I'm no law enforcement, but I'm a scientist that support law enforcement research. So I learned a lot from there. Um, I hope to be there next year. Eva, I'm just curious, when you were a little girl, did you always love science? Were you the kid that was taking, you know, biology and biochemistry and when did this passion for science start? Well, I have to be honest. <laughs> um, actually, I um, always was curious. I would say that the, I always like to play with logic. Okay. I always like to find reasoning to something that can be explained. So I grew up, I born in the United States, but I grew up outside the United States, and my family had limited income. And at that time, when I went to college, I decided that I'm going to be a scientist because actually what I wanted to be was to be a lawyer. But to be a lawyer, it takes six years, and I knew I only have funds to go from the government to a college for four years. So I think I'm going to study science because I cannot make six years. And from there, I developed a passion uh, for science, but I see science more in in a field of investigation, like innovation, research. That's the way I, uh, I see it. I don't see science that I want to do every day the same thing, but I, I want to be involved with new things that will bring wellness to people. I love that. I love that passion. Tell us, what does your day look like when you show up to work? What is a day in the life of Yvette? I have different hats. When you work in a laboratory, if you are doing microbial forensic investigations, you show up to a laboratory and you have an sample someone brought you. So the next thing you need to do is you need to use a safety measurement to make sure before you start working with that pathogen that you have the required PPE to make sure you're not going to get sick while you're working with pathogens. Because most of the time you don't know what you have. Um, we know it's an outbreak, it's not a, a category A pathogen, but it's still we need to be very safety how we work. So here is the thing, you could grow the pathogen so then you have to select what kind of media are you going to use to grow that pathogen. And that is important because it depends the media that you're going to select that you can tell the pathogen will grow yes or no. Because if you use the wrong media, the pathogen is there, but you're using the wrong media, so it's not going to be visible in any colony. So that's very important. So. We need to define going outside microbial forensic investigation, which means you're getting the data. There's people in the laboratory doing the laboratory work, but then you're going to get some data, and that information is going to come to you. So it is important for investigators that we find out what is the population exposure. You know, is this happening in senior centers? Is this is happening in schools? What are the ages of the people, you know? Once something happens, we need to make aware the medical community, hey, something doesn't sound so good here, you know? You need to be checked because always, always, always in biocrimes, outbreak, pandemic, the goal is to save people's life. But if we are really doing a biocrime investigation, we need to try to narrow down the source of origin. And we also need to narrow down the perpetrator. We have to define public health investigation. We have to define if this is going to be a public health investigation or this is just going to be a criminal one. We need to have communication with different people in the government. And for example, we epidemiologists and law enforcement, we, they need to decide, which usually is law enforcement who has the power to decide who's going to take the jurisdiction of this outbreak or biocrime. And sometimes it's the CDC. Then they also decide if there's other places that need to be checked so they can take more samples. And then in the laboratory, PCR testing can be done, which is the DNA extraction, DNA quantification, amplification, and the DNA analysis. That is going to give you an idea of the pathogen that you are working 
is you're using the right primers. You know, DNA is a double chain, so when you apply heat, you divide the chain. Um, when those chains are divided, if you use a primer, which means another chain that you think is this pathogen, they will join together, and then you may get a, for example, in PCR in the gel, you get a visible reaction. But the most important information is going to be to find out the genomic databases. And this is a problem because right now with coronavirus, there are many scientists that they say there are some missing genomic databases in the, the coronavirus, and they need to explain that, but no one has explained that clearly. Some other important questions that we do when we go in a laboratory or we analyzing the data, how can we define the case? Uh, is this is a case that is happening just to the city that I live? or is happening everywhere in the United States. It needs a lot of communication with other people in the government. Or do I need to report this to the laboratory response network? And we need to think about who's going to be the chief of this command incident investigation. The most important thing is that we have to make sure the chain of custody is well, because if you have evidence and the chain of custody is not done well, it's like pretty much you're going to lose your investigation because it's going to be tainted. Mm -hmm. um, we need to find out all the suspects that we think or locations. Pretty much, I would say those are the most important things. And again, when it comes to biocrime, how the FBI will do the coordination with the state, local, and federal enforcement because they are the ones that are going to be the top people carrying out completely this system investigation. Medical personnel, uh, microbiologists, bacteriologists, microbial forensics, forensics epidemiologists, we are just collaborators. If in a real biocrime happens, all of us has to collaborate to put resources, but at the end of the day, is the FBI who will capitalize the investigation and will bring to court I to a see. court system. Gosh, it's so fascinating and so layered. There's so much to your job. Yeah, it is yeah, complex. it's a lot. How many hours a day are you working on, say, a case? Government laboratories usually we work certain hours, you know, <laughs> they try to avoid overtime. <laughs> <laughs> but like I say, these things don't happen every day. And when these things happen, it's going to depend, like I said before, how many people is going to show up to a hospital that they suddenly are sick, like what happened in the anthrax investigation. You know, it was people from different states, so there was an urgency that we need to get to the bottom of that investigation, which was in every state, those states that were involved, the state health department, and then they passed the information to the CDC and to the FBI. When biocrimes happen in the United States, I see from the part that I live, from the part that I work, these things need to be seriously right away because the goal is to save life. So that has to be stressful, Yvette, you know, working in the lab and trying to figure out what the organisms are and where they came from and how they're going to spread. That has to be a very stressful environment for you to operate in personally. And I feel like I would have feel a lot of personal responsibility. Yes, yes, that is correct. Uh, we get tense when we conduct the testing. Just imagine what people that were the first A at hospital went through during these past two years when they were taking care of people with the coronavirus. Exactly. How you go to a hospital to take care of the sick people when you have three little children at home, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it is a stress for, uh, like I say, I'm glad you're doing this podcast because I think we take a lot of things for granted. And there's a lot of people that they put the lie every day to do things to save other people's life, And I will say those are, for example, the people that were at the hospitals with the coronavirus taking care of the people, and also how the Federal Bureau of Investigation, they put their life on the line 
to make sure that this event, they will be completed as soon as possible because the goal it continues to be save life, to save life. How do you think that this will change in the next 10 years or so? Because everything changes. It's crazy how it changes like within six months, it feels like. Do you think this will change a lot? Here is what I think needs to be done. I'm saying something different. I'm not saying in the next 10 years. I say right now what needs to be done in this field with the advent of technological tools, as you mentioned, related to genomic manipulation, federal agencies need to update their protocols to investigate war crimes and bioterrorism. The new tendency to use biological weapons is related to virology, one in which law enforcement officers they don't have the training for that because mostly this should be for scientists and the health workforce. But it got to the point with the experience that we are familiar with the coronavirus. We still don't know how to decipher if this is a natural outbreak or if this was an accident or what happened. So a lot of people die and it's not fair to all those people that die if that was the case that the truth was never be uncovered. Additionally, there is the need to know how to deal with the missing genomic databases because now we are very advanced in technology, so we should be using it. There is also the great need to improve public health laboratories that belong to the government because the faster they can have the better equipment to identify pathogens, regardless this is an outbreak or a natural event or a biocrime. Again, the goal is to save life. We need to save life. And I say, for me, this is the most important at this time. We need to develop a close partnership with cyber and genomics technological companies is also a great need in biocrime. Actually, I heard this month that the FBI got a strong partnership with the Moderna. You know, Moderna is one yeah. of the companies that created the vaccine. And I think we need this kind of strong relation. We need more. I'm not an FBI staff, and I'm not speaking for them, but they had videos out there, and they say, if you see something wrong in your company, you better get educated. So I think the more we see these kind of operations to investigate biocrimes as something more natural, but at the same time that there's a great cooperation between the biochemical companies and biotechnology with federal agencies that are the top two to investigate these kind of crimes, the better we will be as a society. Also, we need improvement in syndromic surveillance system and global nomenclature, and this goes for us epidemiologists. We, you know, when people get sick, uh, it's always in everything we do, people collect data. At the end of the day, that data gets to be analyzed, and sometimes there are things that are very visible, but there are other things that are not visible. Like, for example, if we relate that information with this pandemic, what it was found right away that a lot of seniors were dying right away and then a year after the pandemic was going on they noticed that people between ages between the 30s and the 40s they were dying so they could not explain that one why it was affecting more males so the sooner we see this kind of relation in databases the better we will be and the most important this has to be done so the core system will be fair to everybody. We need to standardize genomic databases that everybody, for example, in the whole United States uses the same way. In the United States, what we have is something that is called the NCBI, which that stands for National Center for Biotechnology Information, and it has databases for blast, PUTMED, gene, and the nucleotide databases when we want to find out about pathogens that we really don't know the ID. And it is true, the level of sophistication has grown dramatically. So if there were a biocrime in this country today, I think the FBI capability of handling it will be quite different than in 2001. However, again, does the FBI have all the tools they need? And I'm talking here about funding 
Uh, microbial forensics investigations are complex pieces of biogenetics and for example uh, gain of function that is something new gain of function is another type of research that we need to be watching very close for example gain of function means there's companies for the good of society they may be manipulating some pathogens or genetic databases to create let's say, a better medicine, but if they made a mistake, if there's a laboratory accident, could that become more virulent? Yes. So it need to be uh, a closed eyes on the gain on functional research and also in the CRISPR research. We also need to be very concerned about the biosafety in all the laboratories in the United States to avoid accidents because there's the biocrime investigation, but there's also the very legal research when scientists were doing investigations with very dangerous pathogens because they want to develop a vaccine or very medicine. Uh, but still, uh, the guy that was found to be the responsible for the anthrax event he was the person in charge of the anthrax vaccine, and he was the one that did it. So uh, there's a lot of things that we need to, to pay attention. We need to work together on this. And I want to say a few final words for this. The critical way to prevent infectious diseases that can bring unpleasant surprises, whether accidental or international, is for us, all of us, to be prepared. Nevertheless, our mass security system need all the eyes on us. Homeland security keep telling us to speak if we see something. So I am telling you, if you see something, do not hesitate to contact the local police of the FBI. It's my hope that this podcast will inspire the young generation for professional careers in microbial forensics and forensics epidemiology investigations. Thank you so much for this opportunity, Miraya and Nikki. Thank you. No, thank, thank you. Thank you, Yvette. It was such a pleasure to have you chat with us and educate us on such a complex field and we really appreciate you taking the time to clarify it for us and share your time and your knowledge I love the history part too that was my favorite part along with everything else Yeah, that always (laughs) makes Nikki so happy we'd love to just ask you a couple fun silly questions one that I always like to ask is what is your favorite holiday oh my favorite holiday is Christmas there's no question I love it. One thing that I do in my house is I have two sons, but now they're not any longer little kids, but I used to put lights in their windows. So when I used to enter their room, it would be dark, but then I see the lights of different colors. And until now, uh, they graduated from college, but they still mentioned to me that that was so sweet that I did that for them. It's an amazing time, Christmas. I, I really love Christmas. I have a question. What is one of your hobbies? Oh, you were not imagine this one coming from a woman that likes to study so much, but I love dancing. Oh, really? What oh, kind of dancing? What kind? I love to go. I love to listen to music, and I love to go to music bar, and I love to see plays in the theater. Um, most of the time, I'm always very busy, but I enjoy when I find a reason to get dressed and to go to a fun place and to have a nice dinner, and to have a conversation with a lot of people. Nice. That's neat. That's a good hobby. I would love to know what you would tell your 20-year-old self. What piece of advice would you give yourself if you would listen to, you know, your older, wiser self? Well, if I had to give a piece of advice to young people, and we need a lot of good young people for our nation, I would say, Try to be very informed about opportunities, educational opportunities that are out there. But at mm-hmm. the same time, not everybody needs to graduate from college. Just find what is the thing in life that you have passion and try to cultivate that. You know, like for example, if I do want to be an engineer, maybe you love math, you love to go to, to science 
stuff like that. But if you just want to be an electrician, that is also great. We need great electricians in our country. There's no one career more important than another one. We all made this great nation. And I get excited when I see the kids in my community that have decided to do what they like. But if there's another thing I can tell people, younger people and people of any age, is this. Love public speaking. Your voice matters. It doesn't matter that you're giving a speech to 200 people, but maybe you're talking to your family. And if we could do public speaking, if we could say to others in a very nice way what we think about, what are our beliefs, and we respect others, this would be a great society. I knew you'd have a good answer. I feel inspired already. <laughs> I've been inspired listening to your podcast because I think this is a very unique art that you two have decided to initiate. And sometimes we don't need to imitate everybody. It's good that people in life come up with very unique ideas. I was very touched. I have to say this. Maybe you erased this from the podcast. But... I was very touched because, as you notice, English is not my first language. And I work with a lot of professionals. <laughs> and I was telling them, oh, God, I have to pray. These two women, they don't know English is not my first language. But I hope um, I, the message is clear. Um, I wish for the two of you a lot of success. Oh, well, thank Eva. you. And everything is clear. You're so sweet. You're making <laughs> me tear up. You are so sweet. And your English is wonderful wonderful and you are so thoughtful and so prepared and so respectful and just an absolute pleasure to have spent an hour with truly the honor is I'm speaking for Nikki I'm sure but she agrees the honor really is ours oh you girls are very special well thank you again Yvette we we will let you go we won't keep you all afternoon thank you again so much I hope the two of you have a great evening and let's pray for the best for our country tomorrow let's go USA okay million dollar question could you do the job no it's too uh, because it's too sciencey I have don't have the brain for math and science so that would be a hard no for me but I loved it and I loved hearing about it yeah I mean I absolutely adored Yvette. She is a delight. She is compassionate and smart. And her job is something that I I couldn't do it, I think, from the personal stressors. I just feel like I would carry a lot of personal burden, like trying to figure out who the individual is that, you know, started the anthrax and where it came from. And because the spread of that can be so quick and can have such you know, huge ramifications. I don't know if any of that made sense, but well, thank God for people like Yvette who are studying bacterias and viruses and figuring out what causes them to mutate and why and how they're spread and helping to determine vaccines or medications. Exactly. I mean, really, she's a superhero. Let's be honest. She's like an Avenger. That's another job that just takes so many years to finalize. What happened? Yep. Interesting. I didn't even know that job existed. It's really interesting. Yeah. Thank you for finding that one. That's a great one because it's certainly something I've never heard of. Even after watching those movies, I never really thought about it. No. You know? And I never thought about you can, people using it as a weapon. That blows my mind. I mean, that's scary though. Yeah. I don't like that. Yeah. That and zombies are my two. I don't like that. Those freak me out. Are you a doomsday prepper? Uh, (laughs) I wouldn't say. You got a kit? You got to go I, back? Yeah, I wouldn't say I have a, like, a whole bunker, but I'm we're ready. We're ready to, to bug out if we have to. We'd okay. be prepared for I don't know how long. I'm not, I don't know the time limit. But then also we have earthquakes. What happens? So we had that for earthquakes too. So I feel like it could kind of go into earthquake or zombies. You never know. I hope that never happens. Well, I think if it does happen, I'm heading towards Yvette's house. Or at least she has a walkie-talkie to tell me what's happening. There we go. We can now have a direct line to her. We'll just give her a buzz. Yeah, exactly. Well, good job. This was great. I hope this never happens. It would be unfortunate. But if it does, you know, it was fun. It was good knowing you. I know, good knowing you too. Well, thanks everyone for joining us this week on this fun episode. And we hope you enjoyed it. If you do have questions, please send them over to us and we can get them to Yvette and help 
get them answered for you. If you haven't yet, take a look at our Patreon page. We do have some fun episodes that are bonus exclusive for Patreons only. And we also have the book club there. So if you love to read, come and join us. We'd love to have you. Or if you just want to come and say hi, come and say hi. Nikki and I would greatly appreciate it. I think that's it. Okay. See you next week. Thank you so much for listening and supporting us. We do encourage you to follow us at Instagram at Body to Burial. Hit us up on Twitter at Body to Burial. And you guessed it, you can send us an email to hello at body to If you have any guest suggestions, just let us know. Please hit the subscribe button or follow button on whatever app you are listening to. Thanks so much, guys. See you next time.